This is Annabelle Steele, and you're listening to the Hayseed Scholar from Professor Brent Steele. You may call him Doctor, I just call him Dad. Here's my Uncle Kyle to introduce the show. Recording in studios from Utah to the UK and anywhere in between, you never know where Professor Brent Jameson Steele will be dropping knowledge and bringing you the best guest the universe has to offer. This is the Hayseed Scholar with Mr. Worldwide, my brother, Dr. Brent Jameson Steele. I like that one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hayseed Scholar podcast. I'm Brent Steele. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you are all doing well and enjoying your summer, or for those that are in the southern hemisphere, you are doing okay as you move into winter. Today, we have Professor Carla Martinez-Machine. She is now formerly of Kansas State University, and she is on her way to starting a new position at SUNY Buffalo. We talk about that a little bit. I wanted to wait to release this episode until she had officially announced it, at least on Twitter. Um, And so we talk about that at the very end, about her transition from Kansas State to her upcoming move to SUNY Buffalo. But she talks about growing up in Mexico, specifically outside of and then also in Mexico City, the schools that she went to, uh, her her. Uh, dad's uh, employment and how that was part of the move, her interests in school, how she did Model UN in high school and eventually visited The Hague during an overseas trip. She talks about that. It was when the Milosevic trial was going on. She reflects a little bit on the process that went into eventually deciding to go to Rice University in Houston as an undergrad. She talks about that transition once she got there the eventual decision to go to grad school at Rice instead of the other places that she could have gone. She talks about her graduate training um, there at Rice. It's more of a typical U.S. political science graduate program. It's on kind of a five-year track, but what was a little bit unusual is that she took three years of classes instead of two, culminating in comprehensive exams, and so she talks about that, and then her dissertation, and how she got into presenting at conferences. She said she didn't really enjoy it very much back then, but she really enjoys presenting at conferences now, so she talks about how that uh, view on conferences evolved eventually. She talks about her interview, uh, and then eventually getting a tenure-track position at Kansas State, where she was for a decade, She talks about getting settled in there at K-State and especially Manhattan, which took a little bit of time. But her high productivity, she's an incredibly prolific scholar, and her high productivity, uh, even in those uh, first few years at uh, K-State, eventually led her to go up early for tenure. So she and I talk about tenure expectations, which is something in the U.S. Academy that really consumes your first few years as an assistant professor. So she talks about how those were relayed, the expectations for tenure at Kansas State, and uh, especially a policy that they had that kind of helped her uh, guide uh, her goals and her purposes and how she approached her research. She talks then about how she began to enjoy going to conferences, and then we transition to talking about how she balances work and not working, uh, how she's able to kind of Uh, shut down as much as possible on the weekends, how she approaches writing and uh, her analysis, especially her quantitative analysis, her ways of decompressing. Uh, She enjoys uh, running and uh, especially cooking, so she talks a little bit about that. And we conclude by discussing her move, as I mentioned, to SUNY Buffalo, where, again, she'll be taking up a position this fall. She t- so she talks a little bit about what she thinks she's going to miss um, when it comes to Kansas and Manhattan. And that was something I could connect with as well since I left Lawrence um, uh, about nine years ago. So we, I think, overlapped in the state of Kansas maybe just one year. But I had never met uh, Professor Martinez Machine until um, the fall of 2019, and we talk a little bit about that, um, her connections with and her prominence at the ISA Midwest meeting, which is held every year 
in St. Louis. And that was the first time I met her when I attended the conference that fall. And um, she is an incredibly prolific, uh, highly impactful, high-profile scholar. And so I felt very fortunate to be able to chat with her, uh, especially during such a busy time uh, with this transition coming up, uh, moving to, to Buffalo. Um, but I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, chatting with her. And it goes about uh, an hour and five minutes or so. And so this is Professor Carla Martinez-Machine on the Hayseed Scholar Podcast. Enjoy. Professor Carla Martinez-Machine, welcome to the Hayseed Scholar Podcast. Thank you, Professor Steele. <laughs> it's great to have you, especially I know how, how busy of a time this is uh, for you, which we might get to uh, towards the end here. Um, but... Uh, as as your Twitter uh, bio notes, you're a Mexicanita, um, a Mexican yes. ex- expat, uh, I think is what, what you mentioned in another uh, post that I saw. So um, you grew up in Mexico? I did. Um, I grew up in Mexico City um, from yeah the time I was born to the time I was 18, graduated high school. And then, you know, I guess adventurous little soul that I was back then, I decided I wanted to go to college abroad. And I went to college in, in, in the U.S. At, at Rice University in Houston. Awesome. So we're going to get to all of that. Uh, but I wanted to um, chat a little bit about um, what it was like growing up in mm-hmm. Mexico City, what your schools were like, what, uh, you know, your interests were back then. So um, was it, it like in like the center of the city, like where geographically within Mexico. City yeah. Was. Yeah. So I, I, we lived in the city proper. Um, well, for anyone who's been to Mexico city. So when I was, okay, actually we, we let's go back a little bit. So I, I sort of lied because my very first few years, um, my parents and I actually lived in Cuernavaca, which is uh, a couple of hours South of Mexico city. And we lived there because my dad was head of a research institute in Cuernavaca, which back then was, if we were in the outskirts of Cuernavaca, and back then was even more the middle of nowhere. Like literally, I remember seeing cows walking down the streets when I was a little kid. Uh, And, you know, it took a while to get like a phone line set up. It was very much the middle of nowhere. But my parents were from Mexico City. And so we would go back up to the city a lot. and then it was when I started first grade. Um, so I'm, I'm an only child. I'm their only child. And so when I started first grade, we relocated uh, to Mexico City because my parents just wanted me to get a better education, you know. And my dad got another job in Mexico City. He, he had gotten some offers. Um, but we kept the house in Cuernavaca. And so that's was kind of our, our country house growing up. And so, you know, as a kid, we lived in the city, you know, very much in the middle of it, but then we would also go on the weekends to the country house. So I, I got a little bit of country mouse in there as a kid as well. What you mentioned your dad uh, was at a research institute. So this yes. was, is, so was he a, an academic or a professor or a researcher? Yeah, so, so, so he got his PhD in electrical engineering from uh, Rice as well. Um, and so he went into... Um, academia. He taught at, at the university in Mexico at the UNAM for a little bit. Uh, then he went to this research institute and then eventually he went into private industry in telecom. Uh, so he's done a little bit of everything. You know, he did academia, then research, uh, not affiliated with a university and then private industry. So he's done a, a bit of everything. <laughs> do, do you remember that what the transition was like uh, from uh, Cuernavaca to um to Mexico City, like for you, like I, I would imagine that would have been a pretty, um, you know, sort of stark change, right? Because you're you're going from the country mouse to the city mouse sort of life, right? A little bit, but at, again, we we kind of kept going back to the house. And as a little kid, you know, I think my mom felt very isolated in the middle of nowhere, Cuernavaca. So we would go up to the city and stay with my grandmother. So I always kind of had a foot in each place, and I was so young; I was like six years old, you know. So 
little kids is that age. I was like, okay, new thing, exciting. Yeah, we're, we're we were all resilient uh, at that age to be able to I know, adjust. Right? <laughs> I would give a lot to have that resilience. <laughs> <laughs> I know, especially now, right? Um, what what was uh, so you mentioned your your parents uh, also wanted to move there for the schools. So what were what was your school like, or what were your schools like? Um, yeah, it was Mexico? basically one big school from first grade to 12th grade um for before that my mom just homeschooled me because again we were in the middle of nowhere right you, she would have had to drive like an hour each way to take me to kindergarten she was like i'm not doing that uh so she taught me english reading writing all the things and then when i started first grade i went to to an international school in mexico city it's called the american school foundation which is where my mom went to school uh when she was a kid. And so it was a great place, you know, because it, it was an international school. Uh, our classes were half in English, half in Spanish. So, you know, you pick up the language young and it's so much easier. <laughs> Again, another skill I wish I still had from my younger days. And you get to meet students from all over the world. You know, I remember my best friends in high school, were, one was uh, American and Guatemalan. The other one was Korean and we were just like this happy little pack of international nerds. So it, it was a great school to go to. What, what, uh, what were your interests then? Were you already picking up an interest in politics or, or international relations? I mean, it's international school. So you're probably talking about different, you know, sorts of parts yeah. of the world and everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, from the very first time I remember first grade, you know, my teacher was Polish. And so she would teach us songs about Poland and traditional dances, all these things. So, you know, the international bit was always in my mind. I think the, the political side, I picked that up in high school. So I was in, in Model UN in high school, the Model UN class. And so I found that really interesting. We, we went to The Hague, actually. I remember my senior year in high school uh, for Model UN in The Hague. I remember actually seeing uh, Milosevic on trial because we, we, we you were it was open to the public. So when we were high schoolers, we just went and got to watch the Milosevic trial. Which so which crazy. part of that, like, so what, what years would this have been? Like at the end so of- So this or, was like 2002 or three. Oh my gosh. What did- Yeah. I know, <laughs> so right? Did, so, so did, I mean, did, what, did that become also a topic while you were there? Like the, the Milosevic trial or did you, there were people asking, okay, well, what is he on trial for? What, you know, what's going on? Or I mean, we, we, we kind of knew. That, 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 I mean, because it had been going on for, for a really long time, the, the war and then the trial. And so it, it was, they were just, every day that the trial was ongoing, it, it was open to the public and you could show up. And it was, I remember it was just, they were doing, you know, some normal procedural thing, but Milosevic was right there. I think they were having a witness testifying. Uh, but yeah, I think even back then we kind of saw the, the importance of seeing this happening in front of us you know yeah and international relations international law well did you um so it sounds like you also got a chance to travel a little bit or or was that the only international trip that you took uh in high school do you remember um no i mean when i was little um so i grew up vacationing in the u.s you know not not, not never kansas so we would go to the typical you know places that foreigners go to like florida and new york city you know um uh, a little bit in Europe, like, you know, Sweden, England, France, the, and again, a lot, lot of tourist places. I remember I, at 14, we went to Paris and I dragged my poor parents. I, I will, you know, thank them for this to this day to the Hard Rock Cafe in Paris. <laughs> so here we are in Paris <laughs> and I dragged my parents to the Hard Rock Cafe and I'm like, mom, dad, thank you so much <laughs> because what a brat to make you do that. But, that's good know. that they indulged you uh that yeah. that, uh, that visit um well then was the so i'm thinking about when you're in high school mm -hmm. um and the interest that you had i know that your degree your your bachelor's degree was in economics and political science at rice but uh so how how did that decision making process unfold when you yeah. were in high school in terms of what school to go to why where um mm -hmm. and, and so on yeah, so uh, I actually started Rice as only an economics major. Uh, I actually, I'll, I'll tell you the story about how I added poli sci, but um, basically in high school, um, I applied to schools in both the US and Mexico. Uh, in Mexico, I applied to, to CIDE actually and, and the Ibero. Um, and then in the US, I, I applied to a few different ones. Um, 
rice, obviously, because my dad had been there. Uh, so it, it was always kind of in the, the back of my mind, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I wanted to go, to, you know, like a high school kid, you want to go to a good school. So I applied to like all the like fancy names and all that. But I think that I, I was a very nerdy kid in case you hadn't guessed already. Right. I was like a very nerdy kid in high school. Um, but I think the decision to go to the U.S., which, again, another thing that caused my poor mother a lot of stress and that I thank her for putting up with, because I, you know, at 18 in Mexico, the thing is, the Mexico, most people, when they go to college, they just live at home. Right. And so it's basically like high school part. De, right. It's like you go to the same university that most of the kids from your high school are probably going to. You kind of have the same friends and you live at home. And so I guess, you know, to me, it just, and, and, you know, some people love that and are very successful. Most of my high school classmates are richer than I am. <laughs> They've done well for themselves. But to me, it just was like, ugh, you know, like I, I want something different, right? I don't want high school parts too. And to me, the way to do it was to go to school in the U.S. And so, you know, I got into a few schools in the U.S. And then the decision came down to, well, Rice uh, was affordable for sure. Uh, but for, for, you know, a private school was affordable. They gave me some um, financial aid as well. And, you know, my dad has been, had been there. Uh, Houston was close-ish to Mexico, an easy flight. And so, yeah, I was like, I'm going to Rice, mom and dad. So, Was Houston, um, had you been there before? Only uh, on my college visit. Oh, really? Okay. So you, I, otherwise I, it was just like through your dad was, in terms of what, yeah. what Houston was like. Mm -hmm. and uh, well, actually, so, and my dad, my parents had both lived in Houston because my parents got married when my dad was like in the middle of his PhD. So my okay. mom moved there with him. So they had both lived there when they were young, but I had never been there except for my college visits. So. Well, but, so you'd been to, and obviously like the U.S. isn't, we can't like totalize it because it depends on where in the U.S. you're going to, but you'd been to the U.S. Uh, a few occasions because like you were mentioning in terms of vacation or holidays or whatever, but how was, how for you was the transition, um, you know? Harder than I thought. Okay. Harder than I thought. Because I mean, again, you know, I was, I figured I was like, it's going to be okay. You know, I've gone to an international school. I speak English. I have vacationed in the U.S. But, you know, it turns out that real, quote unquote, real Americans are different from expat Americans, which were my friends. My friends were all expats Americans, right? And it's a different breed. Um, and, you know, actually living in a country is different from vacationing in it. And, and again, I was this very kind of you know, sheltered child in a way, you know, and just kind of going off by yourself at 18. So there was definitely culture shock, which I did not expect, right? I think I found Americans to be very cold, right? Which again, I had not felt with, you know, expats. They were a little different. I was lucky because my freshman year roommate, her name's Jasmine, uh, we're, we're still in touch. And she was Southern. She was from uh, Memphis. Well, she is Southern. She's from Memphis. And she was lovely and she just would make me you know she was like warm and friendly she made me feel at home and she and her friends you know kind of adopted me like on the weekends people would watch movies and like braid each other's hair well hair and stuff like that and so she she was instrumental in making me feel a little bit more at home so comfortable what the um did you live in the dorms do they have dormitories there yeah yes. um so i mean that's also i <laughs> I don't know. I mostly hear about like the opposite stories of, oh, my freshman year roommate was terrible and we had a falling out. And so, but you know, oh no, mine was rice is actually very good about how they match up roommates. So you, you fill out this huge form. Also, oh, even like back, even back then, right. They don't even like nowadays they build an algorithm, right. To be able to. Yeah. To, I think back then it was like, you know, the people like the, the all week, I forget what they call them facilitators or, or whatever literally looking through the sheets and matching them up by hand. And so it was other students that would do that, right? Mm -hmm. That they were your orientation week advisors and they would do it and they did a great job. Like almost everyone I know at Rice loved their freshman year roommate. That's great. Yeah. That was, I, I went to college in the mid nineties and I got, I really got along with my freshman year roommate. I'm still uh, friends with him. Um, 
uh at least on twitter he's a he's a famous pga golfer now so i oh really i, I don't get to see him yeah Wait, where, where'd you go to college uh, i went to drake university in okay. des moines um okay, okay. but it shouldn't have been that much of an adjustment because i was just you know a the and i you know an iowan you know that had lived in iowa all my life but um but it was a little bit of an adjustment not in terms of the living situation but just the the different groups that were coming in uh this uh-huh. sounds so parochial now but like you know oh there were there were kids from chicago oh my gosh and minneapolis oh my gosh and i was just from some little town in eastern iowa but um but they didn't do the questionnaires i mean as they far were as just like tell. here you go <laughs> yeah so i i want to say there were you know the half of the hallway in which we lived had some kind of breakups you know that were happening within the uh within the you know pairs that were in each room but um but that's and so did you uh did you work did you work any part-time jobs while you were also there yeah at rice or no um no I I I was wondering if I did like research assistant stuff as Mm. undergrad but I don't think so Okay. Gosh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember. I think it was not until grad school that I was like a research assistant. Uh-huh. So you were but a full-time student taking a lot of classes. Did you find the class did you enjoy the classes? I mean, uh, eventually it led to also an emphasis in political science, but mm-hmm. um but it sounds like you liked the classes. Oh, I loved the classes yeah. and it's funny because, you know, Bryce has a bunch of nerds. And I remember like, you know, when we first enrolled, the the president was like, oh, this is going to be hard for you because you're used to being like the top kid in your high school. And suddenly everyone is a top kid. I actually loved it because, you know, it just took so much of the pressure off. Right. I remember like in high school, like staying up late, doing homework. And like I had like dark under eyes because I had to be like number one. And then at Rice, it was like, yeah, I, I still wanted to get A's, but you were just normal, like all the, it was like a little nerd paradise basically. And so I loved the classes, they were hard, but I, it, it was actually like a big, you know, relief to not have to be like the top kid or whatever, you know? So I have a bit of a heavy question, but um, so feel free not to answer it. Um, well, <laughs> so, uh, I, I'm just wondering, did, um, so did, did you go back in the summers to, to visit family? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but did you, did you think for sure that once you went to Rice, you were going to stay in the United States thereafter and work thereafter, or was it? And so then I'm wondering, like the heavy question is like when your mom and dad are, you know, saying, okay, you know, good luck at uh, college and everything. Are they knowing in the back of their mind that you might not come back uh, or had that decision-making or possibilities or contingencies not played out yet? Um, yeah. Um, so, so here's something that's kind of funny. So, you know, despite this, the fact that I said my mom stressed out so much about this, she actually named me Carla because she said that that was a name that would travel well. So that if I lived abroad, regardless of where, she says, like, it's a, just an easy name that people won't struggle with. Right. Um, my middle name is Mercedes, which my dad had picked and he wanted that to be my first. And he was, she, my mom was like, no, that one won't travel well. It's weird. Carla, simple and easy. Um, so I think that, you know, that, that shock of sending your kid off to college when it's not even like normal in Mexico, right. Or it's not common. I, I would say, uh, I don't think I'd made my mind up when I showed up in college. I was just kind of like, I'll do something (laughs) I wasn't you know I was nerdy but I also wasn't very like forward thinking I was like I'll just get A's and we'll see what happens and so it was but but I I do think that maybe being the daughter of a PhD the idea of getting more advanced degrees was always in the back of my mind right like that's you don't finish with a VA you kind of keep going of course you do right and it wasn't that I was like oh I'm gonna be an academic uh so somewhere around junior year I took a class with uh, Bill Reed, uh, who's now at Maryland. And it was a very research focused undergrad class. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. You mean people can do this for a living, right? And so we each had to pick our own project and it was quantitative research, right? So we each had to pick our own topic and then you know mess around in Stata and God, the awful things that I was doing back then to that data. Uh, but I loved it, right? And so I started thinking about, well, maybe I could actually think about getting a PhD. And that, that's kind of where the idea implanted in my head. Um, you know, as I said, I had started out as an econ major. 
But then I took intro IR or intro to world politics or whatever that was my freshman year. And I was like, oh, this is even better because it's like the methods of econ that I like. Who was the, the, who was the professor? It was Ashley Leeds was the professor. Okay. And, yep. and this is actually funny. My TA was uh, Michaela Matis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that, I was like, this world. is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I love that. And I was like, oh, so this is like econ methods, but more interesting questions. I want this to be my major, right? And then somewhere along junior year, I was like, oh, maybe I should just do a PhD, you know? Well, so, and, and I'm thinking about the um, the time period here because the war in Iraq is really, mm-hmm. really in the news all the time, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so was that like part of the the interest? I mean, I know your interests are really broad as well, mm-hmm. even though you focus on international conflict and um, and CivMil and, and mm-hmm. other topics related to that um, and foreign policy analysis more mm-hmm. broadly. But um, were you already thinking about those kinds of things even as an undergrad or? Yeah, I was already thinking conflict and I mean, I remember the the project I did in Bill Reed's class was about aerial bombing. So my, my friend and I read like Papes bombing to win. And we were like, oh, this is exciting. And so, uh, you know, I, I, and I, I took classes with Rick Stoll, who was eventually going to be my PhD advisor. And he had a class that was nicknamed Bombs and Rockets. Right. And it was all about like boats and missiles and stuff. And I was like, this is like so interesting. Right. And yeah, I was like, I, I want to study this. I want to learn more about how it works, you know. Well, and then um, your it looks to me, based on like my <laughs> my guesstimation here with the numbers, that you even presented a poster as an undergrad. As or maybe, an undergrad, oh, uh-huh. yeah. So at, at the peace science, right? In, in, uh-huh, in at Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how well, like, how did that project come about? And then, and then, had you already made? the decision by then to, 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 to then go on to, to graduate school or. Yeah. I think that's basically when it was kind of getting cemented really that idea. And so it was me and so it was Bill Reed who was advising us and it was me. And then my friend, Elena, who is actually, well, I don't even know exactly where she works for. So she worked for DOD right uh, for a while and she deployed to Afghanistan. It's funny. We took kind of a, this path where, you know, I became, academic mouse and she became policy mouse right and so it's uh, so we, we get together and we chat about this uh, so it was yeah this friend me and Bill Reed we did that poster and you know we were very intimidated at, at p-science uh, I remember I saw Michaela there I was like oh yeah she was my TA four years ago and now she, here she is and it just seemed like people were like so mean to each other when they asked questions and I was like ah oh, it's scary but and we were intimidated by everyone, but it, but it just seemed cool. Like we liked it, right? And so was so was the plan um, to just try out uh, via a master's degree first, or was the plan always uh, I'll go j- right into the PhD, get the master's in passing, and then go on? It was always like, PhD, basically. It was like, okay. Like so PhD was in my head. Yeah. So did you did you apply or look at any other places besides Rice? Okay. I did. And I so did. then I how did how did you make that decision? Like how did that process unfold? Ah, yeah, that was um, I mean, probably by dumb luck, right? I, I, I a lot of my life is like being really clueless and then just somehow ends up working. So I, I did. I applied to a few different places. Am I allowed to say which ones are? Yeah, no, but you're weird? supposed to. It's it's only oh, okay. comfortable. But yeah, absolutely. This is great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I applied. Well, I know I, I got rejected from Stanford. That's the one I got rejected from. And then the ones I got into were uh, Duke, Penn State, Rice and Emory. And so then, you know, everyone says, you know, look at the faculty you'll be working with. And it seemed like then it came down to Emory and Rice kind of made the most sense. And I was going back and forth and I don't know. I was just like, I guess I'll <laughs> go to Rice. There's a lot of people who I could work with. If my advisor leaves, there's others. Um, I remember Cliff Morgan actually told me, he was like, don't go to Rice. You know, you'll just keep hanging out with your same friends. You you won't become a grown up. Don't, don't come here. Like, just don't. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he was right. Uh, Emory would have obviously been a fabulous place to go. Maybe I would have been the next Amanda Murray. But uh 
you know, it's, I was like, okay, well, I'll, and, but then Ashley was like, no, you, you should, don't, don't listen to Cliff, come here. And, and I did. And, you know, I actually started back with Bill Reed as my advisor. He left. Uh, and then I switched over to Rick Stoll as my advisor. But Cliff Morgan was kind of almost like my advisor as well, because we co-authored together. And so, you know, I always say that I had two academic dads, Rick Stoll and Cliff Morgan. So. What, how how big were the cohorts back then? Uh, uh, Mine for, was for eight. Okay, that's kind of what it was at Iowa mm-hmm. when I was there too. Was it was the expectation the typical sort of model in the U.S. or at least at least the Midwestern model that that I have in my mind of probably five years? Like the first couple of years are classes, you take comps, then you defend your dis, your proposal or prospectus, mm-hmm. and then finish the dissertation. Or was it a little bit less or more than that? Like what was so, what was your what was your expectation in terms of how long it would take you? Back in my day. Uh, <laughs> We had three years of classes, actually. And I think then the, the cohort right after us had less. They either switched them to two and a half or two years of classes. But we had three years, which I think was a lot back then, uh, I think, compared to other schools. But I mean, it, it was cool because I, I, I mean, again, I wanted to keep taking There's there some great faculty at Rice, right? So it's just more people to take classes from. But I'm pretty sure it was three years. And I think we were the last cohort to take three years of classes. But don't put too much on that. What what were your what was your other emphasis besides uh, international relations? Did you uh, what was it like a two major comparative? Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing air quotes. Oh yeah, there, thank you. Yeah, I'm yeah, doing air quotes. Just listening to uh, this. Yeah, you're doing uh, air quotes. Okay, so yeah, explain explain well, what that was. I mean, I, I picked it, but and I think most of the IR people would just kind of pick comparative because it was like closer. Um, <laughs> but we were pretty terrible at it. I actually have a story about that when we took comps, we took them in IR. And, and also we took in comparative. And I think every one of the IR people in my cohort, they failed us in the comparative comp because we tried to be too cutesy. And I think the question was something about what is the most influential theory in comparative politics? And I think a bunch of us decided to be cutesy. And again, obviously not coordinating, but I think more than one of us wrote uh, selectorate theory right uh like the bdm and all stuff and so they uh, they were like yeah no and they failed us all uh, and so then we you know that with the understanding that they knew we were gonna pass the second time around but it was kind of a teaching us a lesson thing so every one of the ir people they failed in our comparative job <laughs> Right. What was was methods another field that you could take? Because I'm thinking about the quantitative training that you would have had uh, there. Um, yeah, I, I forget if that was an option. Probably, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, basically everyone went through a pretty long method sequence. So I think it was like three years of stats. Well, three semesters of stats. Sorry, right. three semesters of stats, and then we had one social choice, one game theory. And then a bunch of like options. So it's incorporated. It it's incorporated yeah. into the uh, yeah. Basically, yeah. everyone was taking a pretty extensive method sequence. You know, mm-hmm. so that that was just everyone. Um, and I, I mean, it's it's obvious if, if you were presenting a, a poster as an undergraduate, you kept going to conferences throughout this period of time. So were you attending? Were there any that you were you always going to peace science or and or ISA and or APSA and or the Southern or maybe the Midwest? Um, like which ones were you hitting up? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, I it's funny as a, as a grad student, I actually hated conferences because <laughs> I, I felt oh, really? like, why? Yeah, yeah, which is funny now, because now you see me like flitting around ISA, right? And like, hey, it's great. I just, you know, I was like, I mean, maybe just grad school, like, that this is just so much like all your life, all the time, that it just felt like, oh, here's like even more of this and I'm already exhausted from it. And you don't know people, right? And so, and I, I mean, I think some grad students are, are really good about networking. Like I, nowadays I see them and they're great and they reach out to professors. I wasn't like that. So I would like sit in a corner with like my two friends and be awkward. Right. And so I, I hated it. I, I really, really hated it. So, I mean, I remember going to P-Science a couple of times, going to ISA, I think Southern once, but I, I mean, I just didn't even distinguish between them. 
it would just be like, well, here's the stupid conference that my advisor told me to go to. And like, ugh, <laughs> you know, so. um, it's also throughout this period of time. It looks like based on your CV that you were sending stuff out for review, co-authored works, your own works, maybe. Um, so what uh, what was that experience like? Were you were, had you sort of got the expectations that this is going to be tough? I'm going to have to deal with tough reviewers or. Um, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, so all the stuff I was sending out then was co-authored. And so it was nice. Uh, so one of them, it's funny, my first publication was actually a, a seminar paper I wrote for Cliff Morgan, just like a little response. And he gave it back to me the next week with like, this isn't awful, which from Cliff Morgan is a huge, huge compliment, right? Uh, and he was like, maybe we could work on this together, right? And so you know, we kind of developed it. And there was another one that it was kind of like that. So he and Pat Regan had had some ideas and then I wrote a seminar paper that kind of fit with it. And so he brought me on. And so, you know, I think the the publishing process was never that terrifying because I had like a mentor kind of, you know, taking me along with them and just telling me what to do, what to expect. And so I think that made it less scary you know well and then it would have uh, at least if, it looks like probably the first couple of your publications would have hit or at least been forthcoming um by the time you went on the market uh so yeah. um so related to that like uh are you um like how broad was the market search were you planning to stay in the u.s academy were there any sorts of considerations of going outside of the u.s mm -hmm. academy like what how did you approach that year of going on the market so I think because of my research interests and that especially back then were, I mean, they still kind of are now that I think of it even more probably, but it was either, you know, US troop deployments or aerial bombing, right? And those were the, the two things I was, that was my dissertation and the, the publications I had. And so it was like very much stuff that the Americans would be interested in, right? So there was, I wasn't really thinking of going to Europe because that just seemed like, too much at the time, right? Um, um, I and so, you know, in terms of going back to Mexico, um, that didn't seem like there there would really be a place where I could be focused on that research, right? So that wasn't really the, the interest there. And so I applied only in the U.S. and very broadly. I mean, basically anything tenure track that came up, I sent an application out. So how many interviews do you remember? One. Yeah. Okay. I was just going to say it was because I'm also thinking about this period of time. Would it, would it have been 2011 in the fall that you're? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I don't know. I, I was in Kansas at the time and I don't remember us being able to really hire left and right because, you know, it was, um, you, you still had, you actually had even more of a, of a bite taken out from the global financial crisis. Cause there was this austerity kick in mm -hmm. and a lot of state governments, uh, right around then. Um, so especially like quote unquote red States. Right. So it mm -hmm. was kind of hard at public institutions to, do you remember, were there, I mean, were there a lot of jobs generally, uh, that, that I mean, there seemed to be a lot. So I remember I sent that probably like 50 applications. So, so there definitely were jobs, um, but I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard to even back then. I didn't even know what a lot were versus very few. Again, I, I think the theme is I was very clueless, right? I was just kind of plodding along, and you're like, well, let's see what happens. And you know, I I, I definitely wasn't sure that I was going to get an academic job, um, but I did want to get an academic job. So, were there any military academies that you applied to, like um, you know, the Air Force Academy? I'm thinking about your research in terms of how that yeah. would you know be really uh, amenable and. Maybe. I mean, I wasn't a U.S. citizen back then, so I okay. wouldn't have, a, I, I naturalized only a couple of years ago. So I probably nothing that required U.S. citizenship. Um, but I, I, I have, I have no clue even what I applied to because it was right. literally everything, you know, that would take an application for me. What, what was the interview like at K-State? <laughs> K-State. Um, yeah. Well, so here's another funny, like, again, it's a pattern, right? I had never been to Kansas. Uh, when I got the interview, I had to look it up on the map. And so I was like, oh, there's Kansas, right? Uh, and I thought it was funny that it was called Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> um, but the interview was great. Uh, you know, I showed up here and 
everyone was so friendly. And so I was like, oh, it actually feels like this feels like home. You know, I had it in my head. I was like, this is where I I should, I mean, the department, the town, I was like, I, I wasn't even looking, right? But the department, the people were super nice. It felt like home for sure. Um, and then I was surprised because I didn't get the offer. I thought I had killed it. I was like, I did great. I'm a great fit. There's security studies. I do military. And um, I mean, again, this, this isn't a secret, but they had interviewed two of us from Rice, me and Jesse Johnson, who's now at Kentucky, right? And uh, it turns out, so so he got the offer um, first. And yes, he took it. I was like, well, I guess, I guess it wasn't for me. But then <laughs> through like a weird turn of fortune, uh, Amanda Murdy got hired away uh, by Mizzou. And so Jeff Pickering, who was the department head then, you know, was like, well, rather than do another search, let's offer it to our second choice, Carla. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Um, oh, so, that's awesome. So they, so, and, and he was able to, he was able to pull that off too. Like, I, I know, I know back then I like nowadays, we probably couldn't pull that off, but back then they were like, yeah, sure. Just bring, bring both of them. So both Jesse and I moved from Rice uh, to Manhattan, Kansas, which was funny, right? So we're like, you, you get grabbed to Rice people. We're like, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So um, what was the, what, what was that transition like? Um, both living in Manhattan and then, and then, you know, teaching the classes there and, and getting, you know, thinking about like tenure expectations mm-hmm. and how those were voiced, uh, you know, it was a whole, whole sort of another step in yeah. your journey. So what was that, that all like? Um, so one was very easy. The other was very hard. Um, so I think the, the transition to the job was actually very easy just because like, again, grad school was like, all work, all day, every day, right? And then I think when I started as an assistant professor, there was an expectation that you would have a life, right? That you were a human. And I was like, oh, you mean people don't stay here like all night and come in on the weekends and, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, that part was great. I was like, oh, this is very reasonable, you know? And so I think coming in with like the kind of, grad school work ethic and then transitioning to assistant professor that was very easy I mean and again I was there were still parts of me that were flopping around clueless I wasn't even thinking about tenure right I was just like do things right um I think a lot of the faculty here were actually very good mentors to me you know it's funny you think like oh I'm done with grad school like I'm a grown-up now but you kind of still need mentors Jeff Pickering was just like this fabulous mentor, right? Like giving suggestions, what to do, like introduce other people would introduce me to people at conferences. That's when conferences became fun, right? Like you knew people, you, people wanted to talk to you. Um, the transition to the town was rough, right? Um, again, I'd only been there once before and it was a this little town in the middle of Kansas and coming from always big cities. It was like horrifying to me, but, you know, after the first year, once I got to know some more people, I, I started to love it, you know, it was, it was okay then. Um, yeah. What, I, I guess, what, what, would you all fly out of KCI as well? Uh, like uh, no, or? no, Manhattan, Kansas actually has an airport. It does. Uh, and so yes. that'll at least get you to any of the hubs that you Yeah, it gets to you to Dallas and Chicago and then okay. connect. Oh, that's nice. So you didn't have to drive across like the interstate. Yeah. Ticket. Okay. Yeah, no. um, I don't know why I never looked at that. I mean, I guess like Kansas City still would have been closer to Lawrence. Uh, yeah, Kansas City. Yeah. It was such a pain because, you know, you drive and then, you know, I'd always have to, it, for very early morning flights, I'd have to get up in Lawrence, you know, around five in the morning, drive, park, oh wait gosh, to get yeah. in. Um, how, how did, how did, um, or maybe does, maybe it still happens this way. Uh, did the going up early uh, decision or authorization or whatever mm-hmm. else work for you? Did, did, if Jeff was a department chair, did he approach you about it? Cause I did the same thing at Kansas, but I'm just wondering <laughs> if it was the, a similar sort of process. Um, you know, I think with like the annual evaluations, you know, I was kind of gauging my, my progress. And I mean, I think K-State is, is rare in that day they actually give you a number, you know, that you have to hit for tenure. And so I realized I was going to hit that early. Um, And so I just talked to Jeff about it. I was like, well, 
you know, when it looks like I'm here for a while and I'm actually kind of happy here now. Um, and I like money. So <laughs> can I go up early? And he was like, well, if you go up early, you can't just like meet the mark, right? You have to like surpass it. And so I think he identified a number. I, I sincerely forget what it was, you know, one or two more. And he was like, if you hit this by X date, I'll, I'll put you up early. Right. Mm. And so I think I, I, I came down to, to like the wire. Right, It was like the 11th hour. I had this R&R at CMPS. And I even remember I was like, come on, come on. And I think I got the decision like in May, like write this, like that, that deadline Jeff had given me. And I was like, here you go. Send it out. Well, and it's funny because that's I mean, I think that maybe is still the norm. Like if, if you go up early, you actually can't just clear the bar you actually have to have even though mm -hmm. you're going up early you have to have that much higher mm -hmm. of a mm -hmm. of an output i i in my case i wasn't i i hadn't really thought about it uh but the department chair approached me um and i i it was the same because it's always in the spring right uh here mm -hmm. in the u.s and uh and so i i did the same thing where i said okay i think i'm going to wait until i hear back about my second book and then mm -hmm. um and then if that gets like a contract then i'll I'll do it. And it was the same thing last hour, like late April. I'm waiting, you know, checking my email over and over because yeah, I didn't have yeah. I didn't have a smartphone then, right? So um, so I had to like, you know, log on to my laptop and um, but yeah, the same, same thing. I just thought, okay, but at least you had, it sounded like that you had a, a promotion and tenure policy or something that yes, was already that was very okay. clear. And I mean, and it still is, and I think it's something that's great about K-State because I, you know, especially like I think for women or like ethnic minorities, I, I, I do feel like there's this kind of like, oh, is it enough? You're hesitant. And I actually think, and, and again, I think there's people that kind of like frown on it, like, oh, it should just be like a stellar reputation or whatever. But it's like, well, no, actually some numbers are nice because again, I think like for me, you know, woman, ethnic minority, you always are like, oh, am I good enough? But then when you see the number, like oh okay it clears it out it's it's yeah. like a version of the hidden hidden curriculum otherwise right mm -hmm. i mean um yeah we 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 didn't have a policy at ku so we had to do the um and again it's like being a privileged white dude it, it was a little bit easier for me to do these kinds of things but you'd still have to go out and have coffee or a beer with mm -hmm. somebody and get their sense and because i didn't do kind of conventional positivist work i was like well I, whatever they tell me i'm just going to try to double it <laughs> in terms <laughs> yeah, of numbers yeah, yeah. Um, but here at Utah, we do have a really detailed policy, um, which is, is so nice. And actually it's, we're updating it, but we're just specifying things even more, not yeah. just quantity, but qu what quality mm -hmm. is, what impact means, that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, so I think that's, that's good. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because the, the numbers on your CV are, um, you know, you get your PhD in 2012, you start in 2012 and then you're, you know, an associate. It's very linear. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, and some of that had to do with the, the, the foreign thing, right? Because like as, as a foreigner, like I couldn't take a year off to like work for the state department, right? Mm -hmm. Or just hang around and travel. And so everything was kind of determined by, you know, the visa and where it's going next. And so, well, and yeah, well, what, so that the sort of reauthorization process that you're dealing with all throughout this period of time, that, that, that is also related to, you know, your likelihood of future employment, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that is something that they consider. So we're, I mean, I, I would imagine you're, you're having to stay in contact with, there was probably an international scholar services office at K-State probably still is, I would imagine or <laughs> something like a, <laughs> uh, something like an international programs that had within it that um, were, were you working with them were they at least helpful that you know in terms of okay yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so i mean the nice thing is so the, the one at rice was very helpful so the, the international student service at rice was very helpful i think luckily uh when i got to k-state the, the way it works is i was on an h1b visa but then uh k-state then applied for for uh, permanent residency for a, a green card for me and so I started that process and that I didn't have to deal with the Office of International Students. I was dealing with a, a lawyer who was great uh, in Kansas City. Um, and so, yeah, it was, and again, it's not as easy for everyone. I think I, I was fortunate because there aren't that many H-1Bs from Mexico, right? And so the transition for that to the green card was actually 
really easy. And again, I, I realize it's, it's, a, it's a lot of privilege involved there, right? It's not like that for everyone. Um, so uh, I was going to go back to the, the topic of, by this point, you're, you mentioned you're kind of enjoying going to conferences. And um, so were you, I'd only been to the ISA Midwest um, once when I was at Kansas. And th in that case, it was like in 2011. And I think what I did was I drove to, to downtown Kansas city and took the train. They call it the river runner. So it goes <laughs> from Missouri to the Mississippi river. And then just took the train to St. Louis. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I don't remember the ISA Midwest being that big back then, but it's gotten, I mean, it, it, it but it always was kind of becoming by that point, the FPA, uh, you know, sort of region, right. Um, <laughs> of the ISA. Um, so when did you, were, were you like, so then by the time I went back to the ISA Midwest, I think the next time probably would have been 2019 when I met uh -huh. you yeah. for the first time, by then it was like, it was a really sort of robust FPA, uh, international mm -hmm. conflict, you know, military, uh, 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 studies, uh, sort of crowd. Um, so what, like, were you getting involved with that or when did you get involved with like the ISA Midwest? Yeah, um, I think it was my second year here. Um, so I wouldn't like fall what is it, oh gosh, 2013, I guess, something like that. Um, yeah, fall 2013. And so, yeah, it was the same thing. Like the, the, my colleagues here went there. I went with them. They introduced me to people. And I was like, oh, these are some great people. I want them all to be my friends. Um, and, and again, it was like, you know, you, you actually got to see research presented kind of from a different perspective, right? Because at this point, I think by the end of the PhD, I was just exhausted and burnt out from research. And then, you know, I, as an assistant professor, I kind of like got re-energized, re-excited about it again. And so going to see people's research actually didn't seem like work. It seemed like fun. Um, and so, yeah, that's right around the time that it became fun. But yeah, knowing people and actually being excited about the research, those two things made a difference. Made, made a big difference. Did you, I know, I know one of the years I was there, you, you all drove. Um, do you yeah, we, drive? we always I, drive. We always you drive. You do. What's, what, how, how long is the drive? I should know. Six this. hours. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it's a little bit of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it's in Kansas time. It's not. And, and again, <laughs> yeah. I came from Texas, right? Texas time, Kansas time. It's just like, oh, it's a short little drive. Sure, and it's fun because yeah. you pile a bunch of people in there. We sing show tunes along the way. It's all fun. <laughs> yeah. I and sometimes live tweet it uh, as well because um, uh, I've been on panels with, with uh, some of you when uh, you tell us which which tunes you were listening to. Um, well, uh, I, I wanted to ask um, if you're okay talking about it. And I'm sure you tweeted about this then, but I but everything is such a blur from this period of time. But you had a visiting scholar gig at University of Chicago in the yes. winter and spring of 2020. Um, uh, and so, for, I, you know, that's right when the pandemic is sort of descending upon us. So I'm just wondering what uh, what, what that was like. Did were, were you there the whole time, like while this was happening or? So, um, so that was great while it lasted. So it was actually through Bob Pape. It comes back to Bob Pape, you know, reading his book. And I, so I reached out to Monica Nalepa, uh, who had been at Rice uh, and I had worked for her as a research assistant. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm about to go on sabbatical. And she was like, well, I'll put you in touch with uh, Bob Pape, right? And so he has a center there. And they, they basically sponsored me uh, to go there as kind of a visiting scholar. You know, and it was great. I had office space. I had the cutest little apartment in Hyde Park. Uh, it was lovely. And so I was there, you know, January, February, well, at that towards the end of January, February. And, you know, it, it was great. I, I got to present work at their IR, um, well, at their IR lunch, also at, at Bob Pape's center, I got to present research. I, I got to meet a lot of the grad students, you know, who are like fabulous and um, obviously hang out with the faculty as well. And so I was great. I was having the time of my life. And so then, but then, yeah, towards like end of February, I remember one of my friends from here um, came to visit me and she was like, oh yeah, you know, there's this COVID thing people are talking about. And we kind of like laughed about it, like, oh, no big deal. And then, yeah, it basically got, you know, well, we all remember, right? Increase, increasingly worse. Around spring break, I was like, well, it's bad enough that I don't want to be here trapped in a tiny apartment while everything sh shuts down. I'll go back to Kansas for a couple of weeks. 
and then come back, <laughs> right? So I locked up my apartment. I'm like, I'll come back in a couple of weeks. And then uh, <laughs> I drove back up in May to Chicago to empty my apartment and drove back. You know. So it was great. I got to make a lot of good connections and, you know, enjoyed my time in Chicago. But yeah, it was very much cut short. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> So uh, you mentioned this uh, before that it was really, you, you really were, you, there was sort of a, um, uh, you were already in kind of a routine and mode in graduate school that you were working a lot, you know, kind of that's all, all you did was work a lot. And then, you know, that made the adjustment maybe a little bit easier when you got to Manhattan yeah. and, and K-State because, you know, you could do other things besides just work. Um, but how are you now with that balance? Like, do you, um, are you good about shutting off uh, the, you know, the, the messages or mm -hmm. the, you know, um, uh, are, do you compartmentalize when you work uh, or do, do you still just kind of do it, uh, you know, here or there? Like, like how, how's that for you? So now the problem is that I love it so much, the research, that I don't want to shut it off, right? I'll be like at dinner, I'm like, oh, here's a great idea. And um, so, yeah, but I mean, I, I do compartmentalize, right? So I basically, again, unless there's like a huge deadline or something, I don't work Saturdays or Friday evenings. Like, again, unless there's a big deadline. And, and during the pandemic, it was weird. But Friday evenings and all of Saturday, I do not touch work, right? And so it's nice because it, I just completely shut it off. And then, you know, during the day, I, I'm someone who like works weird hours. So I like working in the morning and then stopping in the middle of the afternoon because that's when I get inefficient. So I like, you know, work out, do stuff around the house, go to the supermarket. And then in the evening, I like to write or like do stuff like that. So, you know, I'm not the mo the best person at like shutting things off because I'm, but it's just because I'm excited about it now, you know? So. Right. It's something we get to do, not necessarily have to do. Right. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. How do you, how do you approach writing then? Like when you're, you're putting together a paper, when you're putting together sort of a project, but then especially like writing it out, mm -hmm. um, you, you did mention like the times a day that you uh, mm -hmm. work a little bit better, but how have you approached uh, writing and has it changed over the years a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's about finding the, the times when I'm efficient at it. And so it's, it's early in the morning or in the evening. Um, the, the, for some reason, that's when my brain gets, you know, the most efficient at, at either writing or doing analysis. Right. So both of those things, I, block them off at the beginning or at the end of the day and just kind of get going on it. I think the hardest part, like, like most people is just getting stuff on the page. So I'll just start put getting stuff on the page and then it just feels like editing. I think like many of us, I, I read back on my old papers and, you know, I'm like, Oh, this Carla was so smart. Can I ever do that again? <laughs> right. You're like, Oh, why is she so smart? <laughs> I feel very stupid. <laughs> But, yeah. Well, I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm really getting that sense nowadays because I just don't think my brain power is anything like it was in, in the before times, but, um, I definitely have that feeling What when, um, when you said you get stuff out on the page, does that mean that you you're typing it out or do you actually start even before then, like writing it out, like, like, you know, like in a notebook, I type something? it out. I, 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 try, I try to type it out. Yeah. Uh huh. And then you said the um, there's also certain times of the day that you you do better with analysis. Yeah, it's, um, and it's the same time as writing, like mm -hmm. morning or evening. Probably I I tend to put like stat stuff like earlier in the morning. I think. Mm -hmm. um, okay. That's when I try. That's when my brain feels fresher for that stuff. Well, and you mentioned a little bit of this as well, but like, what, what do you do to sort of recharge or, or decompress or whatever you mentioned you work out? Um, so yeah. like, uh, yeah, so like, it, it, yeah, or other hobbies or other things that you do? So running, or... running is something I've been doing since I was a kid. And it, it clears my brain. Also, I feel like that's when I get good ideas. You know, if I'm like stuck on something, that's when good ideas come. Uh, and it relaxes me a lot. <laughs> so it's like the happy chemicals start flowing yoga i do that and yoga and then i think my other kind of side hobby is food <laughs> so i like cooking and whenever i travel i find good restaurants so yeah it's basically like 
it's, it's they're, they're both kind of like sustenance things like exercising and eating but i really enjoy them so yeah you put yeah you'll tweet out like pics of like the food i mean especially at the early part of the pandemic i remember seeing a lot of uh a lot of these pics had you um had you had training in that or is it just something that you picked up or like no, I um, think something I picked up and honestly like I think living in Manhattan Kansas because they're I mean there are some very good restaurant options and they've definitely increased in the 10 years I've been here but when I first got here I was like there's no place to eat so you had to learn how to cook right like if you wanted to have like Ethiopian if you wanted to have injera you needed to make your own injera right um so yeah, you, you just get good at cooking and there's great ingredients, right? Because you're next door to the farms, so you can go and buy farm fresh food. And so, yeah, I think it's, it was in Manhattan that I really got into cooking. Really enjoy it. Um, so uh, one of the other questions I've been asking folks lately is whether they think, well, and you were at ISA, we talked about this right before uh, we jumped on uh, uh, the recording. Um, so that was, uh, this spring in Nashville where it was the first one in person that any of us had been able to visit since, uh, spring of 19, I think. Um, so, but, and so it had its own kind of feel. It had a little bit of a different feel. Uh, but, um, what do you, what do you think sorts of those kinds of things are going to be like, like conferences, workshops, academia more generally, but like within international studies specifically, um, after the pandemic, like, do you see things in the, you know, institution of academia changing at all or being the same? I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, a little bit of both, I guess. I think we all kind of gained an appreciation for how nice it is to see each other in person, right. To make these connections. But then also, I think we realized that, you know, for some people remote works best. Right. And so that it's nice to have the, the remote option for some. And I mean, I think COVID is here to stay or the next thing, right. People are talking about monkey pox this morning or something. I don't know. There's yeah, all, that's all, all sorts over of Twitter. Things, yeah. <laughs> right. There's all sorts of awful things. And so I think, you know, we learned how to be flexible. Um, but I mean, I know at least for me, it was like, I, I, I just gained a new appreciation for that, like face to face. I mean, yeah, I think the last few months I've done like four or five invited talks, right? Because I'm just like, I want to say yes to everything and see everyone before COVID comes back. Um, so yeah, I guess both, you know. So um, you're getting ready to move uh, to, I am. To, to, I... To, to SUNY Buffalo. Um, so how did... Uh, if if you're willing to share, and if you're not, that's that's a okay because these are these are both professional and then also personal uh, decisions. But um, maybe how did that come about? And you know, it was is it going to be tough? I'm sure it will be uh, to leave Manhattan after uh, a full decade, uh, <laughs> more more. Um, you know, may, maybe a little bit more. Uh, no, there. it'll be exactly a decade. Exactly a decade. Okay. Um, yeah. So how um, how yeah, are you process? No. Yeah. It's. And, and again, I think I'd gotten to the point where I wasn't even looking. Uh, but uh, so Michelle Benson, who I'd met at ISA through, through SSIP. So when she was section chair, I was her program chair. Um, so she reached out a while ago and, you know, said that they were looking to do a targeted hire. Would I be interested? I said, yes. You know, just kind of, you know, why not? Right. And uh, again, I'd never been to Buffalo, never been to anywhere in New York, except for New York City and Long Island. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of moved along and, you know, I went out to visit and it's a, it's, I, I, it kind of gave me that same vibe as K-State where it seemed like these are good people, you know, it, it feels like home. And, you know, again, I, I love it here. I love Manhattan. But I also think that change is good, right? It re-energizes your brain a bit, especially, you know, at this point, right? Where you, where you get like promoted to full and you're like, oh, shoot, like, what's next? Am I getting old? Like, well, what? And then so I feel like, it, you know, shaking yourself up a bit. And, you know, they have a great program. They have great grad students, so a lot of support. And I don't know, it seemed like the, the right time to kind of shake things up a bit. Again, I, I don't, I, I've only been there when I made the decision, I'd only been there once, which again is kind of like my pattern. Right. And so, 
you know, I think there's people that are definitely like, oh, how are you going to survive in the cold? I was like, yeah, people said that when I was moving to like a small town in Kansas, right? Like I, I'm going to survive the same way other people do with, with a Canadian coat and snow tires. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> people have been living in Buffalo for a very long time and in Kansas for a long time and then in Mexico City, right? Like there, there's plenty of things wrong with all the places, but you know, but that's also the yeah yeah but the new things are also fun as well yeah do you do you what do you think you'll miss the most about manhattan i only ask this because i think about the things i still miss about lawrence right so yeah um, i mean the 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 people the 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 good people not not the bad ones (laughs) They're, they're they're mostly good people they're mostly good people um i don't know i mean the sunshine i suppose yes yeah yeah well i have plenty of sunshine out here in salt lake but like the especially the sunsets in um like to the west of lawrence i just i don't know they the sky was so big you know Mm -hmm. at least in my memory back then so um so i missed that are you like the i don't know i don't know if they were that bad in manhattan but like the bugs the spiders in lawrence i don't miss at all so i don't know if you ever had those and i hate spiders okay I know they're good for the environment and like they should be there, but that doesn't mean I have to enjoy them. (laughs) I can feel feelings against them while understanding that the environment needs them. Yeah. So you'll bid them adieu, but, uh, but not necessarily miss them. Yes. Well, Carla, uh, excuse me, Professor Carla Martinez Machine, thank you so much for being on the Hayseed Scholar podcast. Thank you so much, Professor Brent Steele. Okay, that was my conversation with Professor Carla Martinez Machine. I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed having a conversation with her, especially again during such a busy time in her life uh, as she's getting ready to move halfway across the country and uh, get settled in to yet a new place uh, at SUNY Buffalo after a decade in Manhattan and at Kansas State. Um, So I hope that you all are doing well. I have at least three more, um, almost three. I'm I'm sending out a couple emails this week, uh, interviews that I plan to conduct this summer. I am about 28 days as of this recording from being finished with being a department chair, Um, but it's still really, really busy. I'm getting ready to... um, do some traveling in June. I've uh, got a wedding coming up uh, where I'm going to be a best man. I may mention that on a future podcast. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, if uh, all goes well and I don't have any travel delays, a lot of people are having travel delays related to COVID or related to um, just, you know, typical uh, planes and, and trains and automobile type delays. So fingers crossed that it all goes smoothly. Um, but I think probably the next time I'll be able to uh, open up and introduce one of these conversations. I will have finished all of that travel and I can maybe give you an update on how it all went. Um, But in the meantime, I hope you're all doing well. I hope you get a little bit of time to take some breaks during uh, whatever winter or summer break that you may be looking at right now. And uh, until next time, cheers. Cheers.